Fools had no less wit and ear, for wise men are grown foppish. They know not how their wits to wear, their manners are so apish. Can they for sudden joy did weep, and die for sorrow some? That such a king should play Bo Peep and go the fools among. When they for sudden joy did weep, and die for sorrow some. That such a king should play Bo Peep and go the fools among. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for coming. I'm glad you could all be here. I'm Shahari Hollands, and this is my good friend, Tom Bentley Fisher. Hello, everybody. That was great, Shahari. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited to be able to share this with you. It's something we've been working on for, well, for two years. And we've been engaged in this exploration of King Lear, loving it. King Lear is a 500-year-old play written by Mr. William Shakespeare. We're meeting every Tuesday morning, either in person or on Zoom, diving deep, just the two of us. But it's kind of lonely, just the two of us. So we wanted to get it outside of ourselves, share it with someone, share it with you, making the discoveries that we're making. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, um, learning a lot about it in classes as well, um, the classes that I'm teaching. Um, yeah, it'd be great to have a live performance, can hardly wait. But, um, well, for one thing, we're in different cities, so that's not going to work. But one day we can do that, maybe. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course we can. But this is a good start. And actually, maybe we can reach more people this way, Shari. Well, here we have a play. It's been done a thousand times. And you're probably wondering, how is this relevant to me? How, how, how am I, why am I listening to this? And, you know, we get it. I mean, a lot of people find Shakespeare difficult. The speeches in iambic pentameter can be hard on anyone to follow. And you might be considering turning on the old TV instead, eh? You're watching your Netflix. Yeah, hey, it's a good idea, Shari. Have you been watching Succession? <laughs> I am in season three. Have you seen that? Forget oh, yeah, the podcast, yeah. man. I finished yeah. the last one, yeah. I mean, yeah, I yeah, but you. last episode again. Yeah, but not you out there. You do not give up on us. You hold that remote control button and do not press that minute, button. One minute, it's all we ask. Trust me, you'll be surprised. You'll be get hooked just like we were. King Lear. The images are inside us. Inscribed there the way the stories are in the Bible. King Lear and his beloved daughter Cordelia. She dies and he carries her in his arms. We know the ending. There is no mystery here. And she was his favorite, his beloved and yet, in the opening scene of the play, he banishes her from his kingdom, disowns her. Why? Well, we all know that Lear went mad by the end of the play, don't we? Wandering the countryside in rags with flowers in his hair. He turned into a hippie, maybe. <laughs> Did they have hippies then? I don't know. But how could a king, 80 years old and full control of his faculties, a most beloved and powerful man, suddenly go mad over the course of what turns out to be just a few days. But is it true? Is it possible that that isn't what happened at all? Well, actually, we have found something. It's there in full view of the text of the play. Well, no one seems to have discovered it up to now, but I think it's there. Down in the subconscious part. Something revealed which brings all our assumptions about this play into question. And we have another image, too, don't we, in our neural networks. Lear in a hurricane, raging against the elements on the beaches of Dover. What was he screaming at? What did he, what did he see on that beach? 
Well, we might have an idea of what that was, yes. Mysteries to unravel here. So come with us. Put down that remote control. Turn that phone to airplane mode. You can watch your Netflix later. King Lear's Stone Grey Castle. It's a thousand years ago. The main hall. Lear on his massive throne in the center. There's a huge map of the kingdom behind him. Persian rugs and weavings hanging on every side. Red, magenta, violet, and gold. Lamps burning seal oil on every corner. Lords and ladies of the court are filing in to the music of lutes and horns. And on his left, over there, the princesses, Regan and Goneril, with their consorts. And the lords of Cornwall and Albany. And on his right, the Princess Cordelia with her attending maidens. Gloucester and his sons, Edgar and Edmund, up above. The Lord Kent. And Lear has decided to pack it all in, retire. He wants his three daughters and their husbands to take over the reins. I mean, yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, and he's come up with a great idea for his exit. Make a little production of it, a game show. Let everyone make a speech about how much do I love my father. Whoever wins will get the biggest prize. And if they don't come up with something good enough to say about their old dad, maybe they won't get their share. Oh, but they will. They will. Yeah. Bring me the map. There. No. We've divided in three our kingdom, and tis our fast intent to shake all cares and burdens of our age, conferring them on younger strengths, while we, unburdened, crawl towards our death. Our son of Cornwall, and you are no less loving son of Albany, we have this hour published our daughter's several dowers. That future strife may be prevented now. Our lords of France and Burgundy, great rivals in our youngest daughter's love, long in our court as made your amorous sojourn, and here we're to be answered. And our, our dearest daughters. <laughs> Since we divest ourselves of rule, interest of territory, cares of state, who, shall we say, doth love us most, our largest bounty to extend, where, where nature doth with merit challenge? Goneril, our eldest born, speak first. Sir. I love you more than words can wield the matter, dearer than eyesight, space, and liberty. Beyond what can be valued, rich or rare, no less than life with grace, health, beauty, honor, as much as child e'er love or father found, a love that makes breath poor and speech unable, beyond all manner of so much I love you. Oh, of all, of all these bounds, even from this line to this, with, with shadowy forests and champagne riches, with plenteous rivers and wide-skirted meads, do we make thee lady, and to thine and Albany's issue, be it perpetual, our dearest Regan, wife to Cornwall, 
speak. Sir, I am made of the same metal that my sister is, and my prize me at her worth. In my true heart I find she names my very deed of love, only she comes too short. That I profess myself an enemy to all other joys, which the most precious square of sense possesses, and find I am alone felicited in your dear Highness' love. Oh, oh, well, to thee and thine, hereditary ever, remain this sample third of our fair kingdom, more or less in space, vitality or pleasure than that conferred on Goneril. Now our joy, although the last, not the least, whose young love the divines of France and Burgundy strive to be interest, what say you to draw a third more opulent than your sister's? Nothing, my lord. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Oh. Uh, nothing will, will come of nothing. <laughs> Speak again. Unhappy that I am, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I love your majesty according to my bond, no more nor less. Oh, how... Uh, Cordelia, um, mend your speech a little, lest it mar your fortunes. Good, my lord... You have begot me, bred me, loved me. I return those duties back as are right fit. Obey you, love you, and most honor you. Why have my sister's husbands, if they say they love you all? Happily when I shall wed, that lord whose hand must take my plight shall carry half my love with him, half my care and duty. Sure, I shall never marry like my sister's, to love my father all. Of course I heart with this. I, good my lord. So young and so untender. So young, my lord, and true. Truth. Truth. Well, let, let, let truth then be your dower. By the sacred radiance of the sun. By the mysteries of Hecate and the night, by all the operations of the orbs by which we do existence, cease to be. Here I disclaim all paternal care, propinquity and property of blood, and as a stranger to my heart and me, hold thee from this forever. The barbarous sin. He whom generation messes to gorge his appetite shall to my bosom be more well neighbored, pitied, and relieved as thou my, my some time. What is going on with this man? Why is this a, such an extreme reaction? His daughter simply telling the truth. I guess so, but I mean, it really would have been so hard for her to, to play this little game with him, Tom. I mean, you know, I mean, she, but Shahari, she can only speak the truth, her truth. You know, and so much of this play is about having the courage to do that. 
I, I know that, but I mean, like, what is truth, really? I mean, yeah, it's true that she's not going to give all her love to her father yeah, when she has a husband. But truth is also about relationship, isn't it? About the fact that she actually loves her father. I mean, why does she have to pull the rug out from under him this way? Because the kind of love he's asking for is not what she can give to him. I cannot heave my heart into my mouth, she says. I mean, he's asking her for the kind of embellishment her sisters have given. She'd like to be able to do what he wants, but that would be a lie. It's simply not the kind of relationship they ever had. You're probably well, thank you very much. <laughs> so instead of banishing her, he should have signed the whole kingdom over to her. He has found an honest person, a rare commodity. Still, a little white mm. lie. It's all this needed. Mm -mm, I mean, all mm -mm, of us do it all mm -mm. the time. Well, yeah, I guess so. We? I know. You do. I know. I you do. What she says here just seems mm -hmm. cold to me, distant. You've begot me, bred me, loved me. I return those duties back as our right fit. I mean, she had to know he'd be triggered. Well, maybe it's cold, yeah. But it probably corresponds exactly to the kind of relationship they had. Oh, and she doesn't trust her sisters either. She suspects that what they have in mind isn't what they want us to think. We'll find out all about that later. So, at any rate, Cordelia sets a spanner in the works. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel for Lear, too. I, I mean, I would have been pretty pissed off. Uh, you are there. Lear. You are Lear. <laughs> I yeah, sure I, I know, and I agree. I mean, he's been triggered, that's for sure. Big time. And Kent steps in to try to put him back on track. Lord Kent is Lear's best and closest friend. He's been with him through thick and thin for many, many years. Loves him deeply. Kent is appalled with Lear losing it this way. He tries to Good, my liege. Peace, Kent. Come not between the dragon and his wrath. I loved her most. Thought to set my rest on her fair nursery. I hence and avoid my sight. So be my grave, my peace. As here I will give my father's heart from her. Call France. Who stirs? Call Burgundy. Cornwall and Albany, with my two daughters' dowers, digest this third. Let pride, which she calls plainness, marry her. I do invest you jointly with all my power, preeminence, and all the large effects that troop with majesty. Ourself, by monthly course, with reservation of a hundred nights for you to be sustained, shall our abode make with you by due turns. Only we will still retain the name and all the additions of a king. The sway, revenue, execution of the rest, beloved sons, be yours. Which to confirm this coronet part between... Well, dear whom I have ever honoured as my king, loved as my father, as my master followed, as my great patron fought on in my prayers, 
The bow is bent and drawn. What wilt thou shaft. do, old man? Think'st thou that duty shall have dread to speak when power to flattery bows? To plainness honors bound when majesty stoops to folly. Reverse thy doom, and in thy best consideration check this hideous rashness. Answer my life, my judgment. Thy youngest daughter does not love thee least, nor are those empty-hearted whose low sound reverbs no hollowness. Kent, Kent, on thy life. My life no I never more. held but as a pawn to wage against thy enemies, nor fear to lose it, thy safety being the motive. Out of See out better, of Lear. Sight. And let me still remain the true blank of thine eye. Now, now, now by, by Apollo, Apollo King. Thou swearest thy gods in vain. Oh, vassal. Revoke thy doom, or whilst I can bend clamor from my throat, I'll tell thee thou dost evil. Hear me, recreant, on thine allegiance, hear me. Since thou hast sought to make us break our vow, which we durst never yet, and with strained pride to come between our sentence and our power, which nor our nature nor our place can bear, our potency make good. Take thy reward. Five days do we allot thee for provision to shield against diseases of the world, and on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom. And if on the tenth day hence thy banished trunk be found in our domain, the moment is thy death. Away by Jupiter, this shall not be revoked. So Kent is no longer his friend, his mentor, nor his king. That Lear is gone. As Lear says, come not between the dragon and his wrath. Well, that's nothing but dragon now. The dragon has taken him over. And we all have these beings in us, don't we? Yep. Fully functional, autonomous, each one with a purpose. And this dragon been lurking down below in his subconscious for Lear's whole life. Mm -hmm. Watching, monitoring it all, waiting to strike out at any perceived threat. Like Grendel in Beowulf or, or Grendel's mother. But from the dragon's point of view, Lear is being perfectly reasonable. Well, Lear hasn't rejected Cordelia. She has rejected him. He needs to punish her, banish her. And Kent is not standing on his side, so he needs to be banished too. Now think about it. I mean, you know, do we see this scenario playing out in life today, ordinary life? Families, fathers and daughters, fathers and sons. Friendships destroyed? Of course we do. Of course. And we can go beyond the nuclear family to the wider human family. I mean, it's so hard to look at the world we're in, isn't it, Shahari? I mean, it's, I mean, well, quite frankly, it's full of dragons, isn't it? I mean, look what's happening in Ukraine. I'm sorry, I can't even talk about that right now. I know. I used to think stories like Beowulf were myths. And now we find out they aren't myths at all, but actually depict precisely the way things are. Yeah. And you know... I think he was expecting that Kent would support him. 
Well, he sure did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Kent, like Cordelia, has to speak the truth to him. A friend has to do that. Yeah. I mean, would you say those things to me if something like this happened? I mean, if I went off the rails, uh, I hope you would. Well, you know, it's easy to say I would. I just really hope I would as well. And it's tough to do that. I mean, I lost a close friendship once that way. And it almost happened another time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a pleasant experience, but sometimes you just have to do it. So there you have it. Lear has banished both his favorite daughter and his best friend. He's left alone with the other two daughters. He will take turns living with them, and he'll have a hundred nights at his side. Hunting, fishing, touring the kingdom, seeing his subjects. Now, Cordelia, she's lost her dowry, but the king of France still wants to marry her. So, it all seems very straightforward. Lear's dragon had to take charge for a while, take care of the situation, and now he retreats back into the depths of the lake to lurk there with Grendel. It's not the greatest situation, maybe. <laughs> not what Lear expected, was it, at the beginning of a scene. But such is life. Everything's in its place, well organized. All is as it should be. Or is it? Perhaps things aren't entirely what they seem. And you won't find out the answer to that intriguing question unless you listen to the next podcast. Right. <laughs> but for now, you may go back to your remote now, turn your phone on. So let's end with the song again, shall we? See what I can do. <laughs> he doesn't allow me to sing, ladies and gentlemen. No, I don't. <laughs> We, we talked about that. <laughs> Fools had no less wit in a year, for wise men are grown foppish. They know not how their wits to wear, their manners are so apish. Then they for sudden joy did grief, and I for sorrow sung that such a king should play bo peep and go the fools among. Then they for sudden joy did weep, and I for sorrow sung that such a king should and play I bo for sorrow sung that such among. a king should play bo peep and go the fools among us sung anyway. There you go. I told you I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna sing every time I'm gonna you, sing. Hey ladies you, and gentlemen, we'll see you, you next time. Send you in promise. your reports if you want me to sing. You promise. <laughs> See you in episode two.